obvious pain. He's not in right now. We turn this afternoon to the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 21. And we'll be, we, we will be looking this afternoon at question and answer 54 of that Lord's Day. What do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Christian Church? I believe that the Son of God, out of the whole human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, defends, and preserves for, her, for himself by his spirit and word in the unity of the true faith, a church chosen to everlasting life. And I believe that I am, and forever shall remain, a living member of it. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, they came together for a prayer meeting at Bethel Bible College in Topeka, Kansas, January the 1st, 1901. Having experienced what they called the phenomenon of speaking in tongues, they drew the conclusion that it was the biblical sign of the Holy Spirit's baptism. Furthermore, they concluded that they, as a body of believers, had made an all-important direct link to the event which took place at Pentecost almost 2,000 years before. I have described to you in these few words the beginning of the Pentecostal movement. Theirs is the claim that they represent the true church of Jesus Christ in making a direct connection to the event of Acts chapter 2. And never to, to question the sincerity of people, especially when they say they love God and want to do His will. And I've grown up with Pentecostals very close. Nevertheless, what we want to ask this afternoon as leading us into our confession of Lord's Day 21, question answer 54 is, what was wrong with that picture? Let us carefully look 
at what we confess this afternoon concerning the Holy Catholic Christian Church. And therefore, I proclaim to you a summary to the Word of God is our confession. The Son of God gathers His Church by His Spirit and Word. First of all, we'll look at from the beginning of the world to its end. Secondly, in the unity of the true faith. And third, to which I will always belong, gathering the Son of God, gathering his church. First of all, then, from the beginning of the world to its end. Congregation, the history of the church since Pentecost shows us many attempts on the part of man to establish what they identify as being the church of Jesus Christ. Already in the early New Testament church, there were those who did not agree with the established church and started their own splinter groups, calling themselves, of course, the true church of Jesus Christ. This has not ceased over time. Today we still hear of new church groups starting up all over the world, each one a little different than the ones they separated from, and yet calling themselves true church of Jesus Christ. And it has also happened with us as Reformed believers. We hear of those who have left our churches and our sister churches, We hear of those who are dissatisfied, feel there has to be more, and therefore look either elsewhere or go their own way. Perhaps to look elsewhere is, is more of the thing they do today than starting up something entirely new. But it still does happen that we see splinter groups also coming away from our church federation. And so it's not just a Pentecostal thing then that we want to talk about this afternoon, but the whole, whole idea of separation, the idea of, of leaving others uh, in order to be on their own with their special religious movement, it's uh, that we want to address all of that and therefore not to be judgmental as to the sincerity of people, but nevertheless to ask what makes for unity and what is unity? What are we to be considering? It can be impressive to see millions across this world go into some form of Pentecostal thinking. They've made great inroads here and there. We are inclined to say they must be doing something right. Perhaps so. But are they right in keeping with the word of God? In what it teaches us concerning the church? And when we talk about the church, we have to be careful 
The very fact that many thousands, even millions of people answer to a call placed on them to join a particular group does not necessarily a church make. We can easily get excited about something. Youth get excited about pop idols. But does that make it right to worship then? Others get quite excited about a football and a hockey game. We may see them caught up in, in an almost religious frenzy during a game. Whereas we wouldn't see that when they go to church. But does that make it right to worship these idols? What is fact? What is fiction? When it comes to church, we need to ask that. We need to know the answers. Yes, brothers and sisters, we need to ask an all-important question. And that question is, What does the Word of God teach us about the church? We strongly believe that the gathering of the church according to Scripture is how we confess it to be in Lord's Day 21. And yeah, people can say, well, that's what you think. Well, how does it stand up to the test of Scripture? Are you critical and have you asked? Have you looked for the answer where it is wrong? And that's not to intended to say that our confession monopolizes or is perfect necessarily, although we strongly believe it holds a summary of the truth of Scripture. Where would we be otherwise, right? If we didn't believe that, what do we believe and what, what holds us together may be the next question. Our confession is there, we strongly believe, because of what Scripture reveals to us. It takes the language of Scripture and it brings it into summary in order to say, this is what we have to believe. We have those confessions because there, there are so many different views. People say, well, we're not confessionalists. We, we just go by the Bible. Well, show me someone who goes just by the Bible. And I'll tell you whether he's a Baptist or Roman Catholic or Reformed. You see, so much of, of what we say and believe can be that which we make of Scripture and not what it, what it always says. We may therefore say, and we do so, that our confession stands even when millions over against our few thousand think of the church quite differently. We strongly believe that the gathering of the church, according to Scripture, is what Scripture, scripture says. To talk about the church and what it is, we need, first of all, to say 
then, according to Scripture, it is the gathering work of Jesus Christ. Stop and think about that for a moment, congregation. Do you hear what we are saying? We're making an exclusive statement. We're saying that Jesus Christ is the only one who gathers the church as only he can. If you want to come to unity, it has to be him. Not you and not me and no one else for that matter. But it's in his hands and not in man's hands. And so as not to leave it at only that, to shroud it with some sort of godly and heavenly power that no one can penetrate. We learn from Scripture that Jesus does his gathering by the use of means. Two, in fact. Our confession says that Jesus gathers his church by means of his spirit and word. This identifies that this gathering is done with power and authority, with a clearly spelled out testimony. Jesus promised his disciples before he returned to heaven that he would send them another counselor capable of touching their hearts and teaching them things at times which Jesus did not get across as the hearts were not ready for it. But this spirit would do that. He would take the things of Christ and bring them to our lives. Jesus and his Father sent the counselor with Pentecost. He touched the lives of the apostles, as we know that well-documented account. He touched their lives, and he touched the lives of the church members as this followed that event. Paul would later say in Romans 1, Verse 16, I'm not ashamed of this gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. The power of God. What is that and who is that? It is the power of the Holy Spirit of God himself, congregation. He is all-powerful, for bringing together and maintaining the church of Jesus Christ. He does that in the name of Christ. But look then also at what he attaches himself to. Paul said he was not ashamed of this gospel as much as the gospel is empowered by God in its writing and is used as such for bringing men through faith to salvation. 
And there are many other passages written by Paul and others, the other apostles as well, that speak about the same thing, as most of you are aware of. Look at the texts which are referred to by the catechism. See that list. Look them up, congregation. For if you want to be persuaded, then please be persuaded by the word of God, first of all, and know that the catechism, what it says, is true. Nevertheless, we will follow our confession because we believe it does say what, what the Bible says. And we stand to be corrected if, if we're wrong. Jesus gathers his church through his spirit and word. What does that say if not? Keep your hands off the church. You must not take the work of Christ lightly. We must recognize that him being seated at the right hand of the Father today in heaven means that he is seated in the position of power. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the reason we exist. This world exists. And every person and every nation, every power will one day be placed under his overpowering greatness and authority. And therefore we have to recognize him for who he is, for us, the church. We may not see everything visibly. Much of what he does, he does invisibly. But do it, he does. He continues to be with us, congregation, as he said he would be. He is with us, us through his spirit today, even as we speak. The Holy Spirit is busy on earth today from this pulpit. Because Jesus is busy in heaven today for us. And he's been busy for a long time, Jesus has. He's even been busy before Pentecost. And a lot of that is lost on, on many groups today as they're basically New Testament churches. Many fail to see the Old Testament as all part and parcel of the same thing. The gathering of God's church from the beginning to its end on earth. The whole history of God's church in the Old Testament is a clear expression of the Son of God in his church gathering work. Right from paradise on, we may see that he is at work. Look at the promise that was given in paradise after men fell into sin. Man fell into sin. The promise was given that through the seed of the woman, one would be born who would defend his church. He was bruised the head of the one who wanted to destroy it, namely Satan. And what was it that Israel was seen to worship God through shadows of worship and sacrifice, which ultimately pointed to Jesus Christ? Jesus was busy then too. 
He is the angel of the Lord who spoke with Abraham. He is that same angel as seen in other occasions well in the Old Testament. That's Jesus. Because Jesus is in control when it comes to the church. He gathers his people out of the whole human race from the beginning of the world to its end. It's not just that all things started at Pentecost. He's always been in charge. He gathers, he defends, he preserves, and he does that for himself. Brothers and sisters, and of you, boys and girls, note well what our confession is saying. Jesus gathers, Jesus defends, Jesus preserves. He does it by himself, for himself, ultimately by himself, for himself. Yes, for himself, he is, is jealous for his church gathering work. He doesn't lose sight of his people ever. His thoughts and his actions have always been and are always towards the church. He doesn't leave that over for mankind to do what they want to do with it and make of it what they desire. He is in control. It is his church. It is his work. And then we may look back at what, at that church and see how throughout history she has been attacked, even sorely oppressed. We know from Revelation 11 as it points into the future, in the example of the two witnesses, that she will be fought against, she will be left for dead on the street. And we know from Scripture that if the Lord did not return soon after the catastrophes, we would easily be lost. And so we may expect that those who hold hope in belonging to her may have wondered from time to time if all had been in vain in that they had believed in Jesus Christ. Well, brothers and sisters, he does not always show us physically that his church stands in his victory. But then I ask, how do we mark the church's victory? Sometimes the victory of Christ is seen through the members of the body, of his body, in that they are seen as standing strong. We see it in the death of her martyrs. To have been burnt at the stake, giving praise to God as the flames were intended by evil men to silence them. That here was the victory of Christ. And that they did not capitulate. That they did not re repent of being a member of Christ. But they stood firm. They stood in the fire singing. The death of the two witnesses is the testimony that the victory rests not with us, but with what Christ will do for us through the activity, our activity as church.
He is gathering. And he does defend. He defends us with the truth of his word. He drives that truth into our hearts by the Spirit. And as such, we stand defended. That's why we see the martyrs who do not waver. And that is the victory. It's not the victory that men would mark victory by. But it is the victory. Because it stands in the face of death and Satan himself. And says no. And says yes to God. That's what the church is about, congregation. Christ continues with her through thick and thin. In those ways where we see her grow and increase in her time of peace but just as much in her time of, of peril in the time of death that's what the church is about our dominion our kingdom is not of this world but we live for the one that is above when the papal influence became so strong that it seemed as if the true church of Jesus Christ was lost, then the Reformation showed us that Christ had kept that small number, his so-called 7,000, as witnessed in the Old Testament, who did not bow the knee to Baal or to any other false worship. And therefore, we believe the error of Pentecostalism and all of those who in our history have thought along the same lines is that they have lost sight of the church always being there. For the most part, they have brushed Acts from Acts 2 to 1901 aside as they randomly connected themselves to Pentecost and left that part out. It's one thing to capture the truth of Scripture, but then that truth must be seen in its fullness. And the fullness of truth is that the church has always been there. The numbers may have been small. There may have been vexing things that took place which caused people to say, I don't want that anymore. I'm going to make a, a direct connection to Acts 2. But that's not reality. For it says, if we believe it that way, then Christ has shortchanged us. He has, he has not been there in the times when he said he would be. But we hold that he has congregation. So we come to our second point in the unity of true faith. I cannot think of a better passage to describe the church as the one we read this afternoon. Paul's letter to the Ephesians is from start to finish about the church. There are many beautiful things said by Paul as describes what she is. And then Ephesians 4 tells it nicely. 
Yes, it ties it together. Because Christ Jesus is the one to gather the church, we need to believe this afternoon that he does that in a most effective manner. Our catechism says, I believe that the Son of God gathers in the unity of true faith, the church chosen to everlasting life. Yeah, such is the church. And that's not to say that the church will only be seen where perfection is, is observed. No, the gathering work of Jesus Christ is not without that work being entrusted to men. Even when the Holy Spirit is at work and has bound himself to the scriptures by inspiring those who have written. And then when it is spoken and addressed to the people, he works it into the hearts. This is, however, a very important element that we may not ever overlook. We're talking here about Jesus Christ in his power. We're talking about the Holy Spirit in his power. The Holy Spirit that moved over the waters with creation. Brought it to be. He's the one in charge of our salvation. Working that salvation through the word. Men may say to the members who come expecting to hear about Christ's work, that he can't do it alone. You need to have input as well. Devil has one vote. Christ has one vote. You have to cast that deciding vote which way you want to go. Or they may say that Jesus is not effective unless his body is offered over and over again. Many may say in the name of God that Jesus is not really God himself, but only an example for us to follow, we being on the same level as he is. Well, these are all people that claim to be church of Jesus Christ. There are so many other things that have been proclaimed from the pulpits till there is little left of giving what the church of Christ should really have received. Paul speaks to us this afternoon about a calling that we have received, a calling which is to leave us completely humble and gentle and yet firm and committed. Paul says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Oh, if only we had done that. If only we were on that search, would we not have avoided so many of those pseudo-church-like excursions? We must maintain our confession, brothers and sisters, it's about a church that Jesus has chosen for everlasting life that we may seek as being gathered in the unity of the true faith. I know we are all too often ready to compromise the truth because the division is so large and we say, let's not see it break apart. 
But what do we gain if we compromise the truth? We only get to see a greater watering down of what is seen to be church than we already have. And we must not bless that division by saying, go to the church of your choice, or saying, it doesn't matter where we worship, we all serve the same God anyhow. That may give you a little bit of comfort because relatives or even family have gone in a different direction. You may try to comfort yourself with that by saying, well, we're still serving the same God. But what is that saying? What is, saying that, what does that sort of talk say about the gathering work of Jesus Christ? It says, that, it says that Jesus is not in control. It says that he is unable even through the power of the Holy Spirit himself to gather into a true oneness. What does it help me to say that Alliance man is a brother to me? If in the process we never see each other or greet each other on Sunday. I'm not judging here whether he belongs to Christ. I don't need to do that. But why should we be busy thinking unity when the evidence is not there which says how wonderful it is when brothers meet together in unity? We must maintain the desire to not only see a worldwide unity, but we must also understand that it needs to manifest itself as being a true unity, giving honor to Christ when the time and the place is there for being called together. It is to be worked at congregation. It is not to say, because we do not witness the desire for such a unity, let us be content never to speak to those who, who appear to be different. What does that help? It is not going to be easy to come to unity with many other Christians. But our desire should always be for it. And the opportunities as they present themselves... As, for instance, when we seek contact, as we have over the years, the OPC, URC, must press forward towards the final hope and goal where we are fully one, seen as one. And we're thankful for what we have already with these federations. But what keeps us from going that next final step we must not like anything that would separate us if for the glory of God if we do not seek this unity then there is little sense in saying what we say next in our confession and that brings us to the third point to which I will always belong. Make every effort, Paul says, to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. 
There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And we're, we're thankful, we're thankful for the unities that have been established, the recognition of each other as brother and sister in the Lord with other denominations. We're thankful that we say, see most of that. It just takes that one little step further and already we feel in our hearts these are our brothers and sisters. Why then not the final step? Why not have a coordinated church order and, and all of these things? Why put them on hold? Why not go? Do. Do. Don't be afraid. How can you be afraid if you're doing it in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? What I just read of, of Paul is scriptural. One body, one spirit, called to the one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. What word is common, so common there? One, one, one. I need only to know the truth, this truth that Paul presents us with. I need to know that I belong. But I also need to know that my brother who is beside me knows this truth and is working for its completeness alongside of me. I need to share all things with him. I need to see him beside me in the pew Sunday. You understand that can't all be literally, but nevertheless, spiritually, I need to see him beside me Sunday after Sunday. I need to see him at the Lord's supper table where I am. I need that to encourage me for seeing that I belong to the true church of Jesus Christ. Yes, I need to see what convinces me that Jesus Christ is truly at work in as much as what I see of my worship with my brother can only be attributed to him and to know that this is all made possible when in my heart I see all sorts of destructive thoughts at work then I must be able to attribute what I see to the powerful work of the Holy Spirit alone and in this way to say the Lord is my shepherd Therefore, I shall not be in want. And as Psalm 23 goes, as we hope to sing, it's all about the peace of, of knowing we're in the hands of the great shepherd. He leads me beside quiet waters. He makes me lie down in green pastures beside quiet waters. He, re he restores my soul. He guides me into the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's to that church of Christ's gathering that I know myself to belong and that I would wish of everyone else. First, 
the brothers and sisters as you see each other sitting beside each other, but also to others. There's so much division in this world of what is called the church. In many ways, you could say it, it had to happen. But in other ways, you want to say, can it not be corrected? Can we not be of that one mind which says, Jesus is Lord, the church is his. Let us correct the damage. Let us be open to the talks of unity. Let us find others besides those whom we have found in order to see that work of Jesus Christ come to the fullness. I belong. And I will be kept here because it is Christ's work. And not the, the making of my mind. Or of like-minded thinkers. Let us keep the focus right. Let us continue to look for his hand in guiding us through this life. To the purpose he has. By which he has come to dwell among us and to gather us to himself. To present to the Father on that final day that body of believers that he has worked for, has given his life for, given his blood and body for, as we remember that this morning, as in this way he will present us to all eternity. Let us seek to be joined to those who want the same. All to the glory of God. Amen.